Welcome to Two Open Doors, the podcast that explores our power to open or close the doors of relationship with the important people in our lives. We hope you'll learn from and share your wisdom with our community. Thanks for joining us. Deep human connections involve the sharing of intimate details between partners, hopes, fears, dreams, and plans. The partners in such connections also open themselves to one another to come to know one another more intimately. That requires a willingness to make oneself vulnerable to one's partner. As a deep connection takes root and grows, it's good to consider what role attachment might play in the relationship. In the late 1960s and early 1970s, the founders of psychological attachment theory, John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth, developed the following definition of attachment. Quote, Attachment is a deep and enduring emotional bond that connects one person to another person across time and space. End quote. Since it's clear that such a deep emotional bond is present in any lasting, intimate relationship, it's worth our while to explore the specifics in some detail. Some of what we review here was described in earlier posts, but a brief refresher is helpful. Let's consider the growth of attachment. In infancy, a child develops attachment to its primary caregivers, typically its mother, through interactions in which the infant asserts needs and the mother responds. The mother may make herself usually present and receptive to the infant, or she may be unavailable and unresponsive. In addition, the mother's responses may be effective in identifying and satisfying the infant's needs, or those needs may go unmet. Infants who experience usually available mothers who deliver the baby's needs evolve into secure infants. Such babies develop a sense of self-worth, and with their basic needs met, they are free to explore and learn from their environment. Conversely, infants whose mother is often not present or is unresponsive, or who do not reliably satisfy the infant's needs, grow up to be insecure. Such children exhibit lack of self-worth and they may be timid and withdrawn or angry and antagonistic. They are also typically reticent to explore their environment and thus learn little from interactions with their peers and their world. These mother-child interactions pave the way for the child to learn how to interact with its peers. In effect, they teach the child how relationships work. Not surprisingly, these patterns that we learn as infants and young children follow us into adulthood. The four major styles of childhood attachment have equivalent adult attachment styles. Our individual attachment style strongly colors how we interact with others in our adult relationships. Let's consider then what healthy attachment looks like. In this post, we won't revisit the details of attachment theory. For those details, please refer back to our earlier posts. We do, however, note that it is natural and expected for us to develop attachment to someone that we grow close to. Attachment is rooted in neurobiology, and thus it's expected that we'll encounter feelings of attachment to those we come to love. Many Eastern religious traditions see attachment as something to be avoided, something to try to liberate ourselves from. For example, as described in Chuangfat.org, the second of Buddhism's noble truths is that, quote, craving, clinging, desire, or attachment. In the second noble truth, the Buddha tells us that the root of all suffering is attachment to the desire to have or craving, that is, sensual desires, craving for becoming, craving for non-becoming. The attachment to the desire not to have or aversion, that is, a fear of getting, or to be in contact with what we don't want or what we don't like, and the attachment to ignorant views or 
one's incapacity to see the true nature of the self and the world, to see things as they really are, without the filters of the discriminating mind. The third noble truth is related. It is, quote, cessation slash ending slash eliminating all craving and attachment. The explanation of this is that the third noble truth reveals to us that there is a way to end suffering, and we can realize this in our life. It also invites us to transform, to finally get free from our suffering and dissatisfaction. This is the most important of the Four Noble Truths because it gives us hope of inner peace, freedom, liberation. The Buddha states that to put an end to suffering, we need to let go of our attachment to our desires. Please notice that he didn't say letting go of your desires since getting rid of desires altogether is impractical and impossible. The important thing is to not become a slave to our desires. I see much truth in these observations, and especially in noting that he, the Buddha, didn't say, quote, letting go of your desires, since getting rid of desires altogether is impractical and impossible. However, I personally don't subscribe to the notion that we humans should strive to eliminate suffering. From an evolutionary perspective, suffering provides us with guidance as to what's good for us and what isn't. It's instructive. Our nervous system includes a representation of pain as well as of pleasure. What I would agree is undesirable is letting ourselves become enslaved by our attachments or desires, that is, becoming locked into compulsive behavior. That definitely limits our freedom of choice, as addicts can attest. Just as it is important for us to be in touch with our feelings, rather than attempting to repress or ignore them, so too I believe that suffering is a normal part of the human experience, and one that we should embrace as such. Were I to try to disown my attachments, I might feel serene and detached, but I would also feel cold and distant, and thus less able to fully relate to others. Since my core desire is for deep connection with others, I would rather accept some suffering in my life than strive to live a purely spiritual, rarefied, angelic life that separates me from others. I believe that striving for sanctity does not require us to sacrifice our humanity. Of course, it seems to be difficult for us humans to find balance, in this case between recognizing and accepting the reality of our attachments versus disowning those attachments. Such balance doesn't come easily. I expect it to be a source of constant struggle. Still, that seems a worthwhile goal to have. Attachment definitely has a dark side if it's allowed to blindly direct one's life. As an intensely social species, we humans aren't independent of one another. We're interdependent. People who are emotionally attached to one another are interdependent. At least to some extent, the happiness and satisfaction that each experiences is dependent on the other person in a reciprocal manner. If one allows one's dependence on another to become too one-sided and powerful, we have the basis for a codependent relationship. Each partner in such a relationship may gain something from the exchange, but at a cost to the other partner. That's neither healthy nor sustainable. The potential for codependence, though, does not invalidate the tremendous value of healthy and balanced attachment. Let's consider now attachment and compatibility. In a compatible relationship, both partners benefit from their connection. In a mature relationship, one that has moved past its initial stages of NRE or new relationship energy, the partners' shared experiences let them determine whether they want to stay together long term. If so, they develop an attachment bond between them. In incompatible relationships, that doesn't have an opportunity to develop. 
significant differences drive the couple to separate or to maintain a more superficial relationship rather than forming an attachment bond. That's a normal function of adult attachment. Given the normalcy of this dynamic, it would be a mistake to classify that attachment as undesirable or inappropriate. Emotional attachment and interdependence are characteristic attributes of a healthy, compatible, deeply connected relationship. That attachment reflects the mutual caring that exists within a bonded couple. The sort of attachment that we've been describing is, of course, a part of a functioning long-term marriage or other committed monogamous relationship. It also occurs in long-term polyamorous relationships, that is, in relationships in which a person has more than one intimate or sexual partner. Things can get complicated in such polyamorous relationships because the attachment bonds between different partners can potentially collide with one another. Such collisions can exist on an emotional plane or in the sharing of a partner's available time and energy or in other manifestations. The situation is different from that in swinging relationships in which attached couples participate in sex outside their relationship, but usually without forming emotional bonds with their swinger partners. Because attachment is the nuclear force that holds together attached couples, polyamorous partners need to develop strong communication and people skills to avoid or reduce possible impact of multiple attached relationships on all participants. While this can at times be a challenging balancing act, its payoff is the expanded circle of love and attention that one can share with multiple mutually respectful and caring partners. Polyamory certainly isn't for everyone, but practicing it successfully, including nurturing its constituent attachment bonds, can provide deep satisfaction for its practitioners. As we've seen, attachment is a normal and essential part of creating and maintaining healthy, deeply connected relationships. Rather than being something to be avoided or rejected, attachment is a normal part of thriving human relationships. It deserves attention and recognition, and the extremes of unhealthy attachments, such as codependency, are not desirable. When properly balanced and cultivated, though, attachment can be a source of great joy and satisfaction in intimate relationships. To learn more about Two Open Doors and to engage with our community, I'd like to invite you to visit the Two Open Doors website at twoopendoors.com and the Two Open Doors private Facebook group. I also invite you to contact me directly by writing to me at claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, at twoopendoors.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll use your inputs to guide my work on future blog posts and podcast episodes. Thanks for visiting Two Open Doors. Two Open Doors